You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and every body. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see how beautiful life can be when you soften your heart you can finally start to live your truthiest life all right everybody welcome back to the truthiest life it's your host lisa haim and i actually had to do a little schedule change up because i'm coming right off this episode with sex doc carly aka carly blau who's a therapist a sex therapist specifically and i'm feeling so charged by it that i want to just get it out into the universe and into your ears as soon as i possibly can i had so much slated that i wanted to ask carly about about motherhood and her own life and her ivf struggles I didn't get to any of it because we really explored conversations so organically that needed the depth and the time and the conversation to kind of go so much further than really a quick bullet point could ever go. So in this conversation, we talk so much about things that I know you're totally all going to get, like the confidence in being a weirdo. If you're listening to this podcast, if you like me, I know that you like weirdos and that you are a weirdo yourself. And chances are, if you're like me, there have been moments in your life where you're really proud and own that and other times where you table that. And we want to talk about the power in being weird and how we can form amazing relationships with people if we kind of own our weirdness. Carly, who comes off as so confident and self-assured, talks about this faux confidence. She was actually bullied when she was younger and had to kind of adopt this faux confidence that is kind of true a lot of the times. But other times she, just like anyone else, struggles with feelings of self-doubt, just like we all do. We have such an important conversation around self-love. It's a topic that is so misunderstood because I think that generationally, older generations can't even wrap their heads around it. And our generation has seen it kind of slated as self-love, massages, even just related to body image. Carly breaks down what self-love is and how it really is the most important molecule that we need to focus on first before we even entertain the idea of having relationships with other people and how most importantly it includes loving the parts of yourself that aren't all so perfect or clean or even ones that you're proud of 
having this in-depth conversation was just eye-opening because we also talked about the conversation about self-love and men. I think the conversation the last few years has been great on social media, but it's really been geared mostly towards women. And I can speak firsthand to the fact that men need to embody self-love too in order for them to heal and for us women, men, and non-binary to heal our relationship to each other as a whole. Nobody is excused from this conversation. And we need to create opportunities for everybody to get a taste and feel for what it really is so that we can have real quality relationships with each other rather than what often happens, which is toxic relationships because we haven't done our own self-work. She's a sex therapist. So of course, we talked about sexual functioning and the lack of sexual functioning that can happen because of trauma or simply because sex is a multifactorial thing. It's not just sex and pleasure. It also is psychological and environmental. And there's so many aspects that the movies straight up don't talk about that need to be talked about. It's just a really raw and organic conversation about how we can stop worrying so much about what others think so that we can focus on ourselves, nourish our relationships to ourselves, and ultimately be the best people that we can be. You'll see from the way that Carly speaks that she is not just an expert, but she is passionate. She is truthful. She is raw. She is so living her truthiest life. And we will definitely have her back on for a part two. So I invite you to take a listen to this episode and really do a lot of self-reflection as you do. I ask you when listening to this episode to use it as an opportunity to do a lot of self-reflection. Ask yourselves the questions that we ask each other. Pause, take inventory of your own life, your own relationship to self-love, to self-hate, to your relationship to sex and how it has changed over the years and all these different things. Use this as an opportunity. It was incredibly therapeutic for me and I know that it will be for you too. If you love this episode as much as I do, please share it on social media so we can encourage other people to hear the conversations that we are having. Let them know that they are not alone, that know that it's okay to have those scary thoughts and know that being a human is hard, but it's also really beautiful. Thanks for living your truthiest life. I'll see you back here next week. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. Today's guest is sex therapist Carly Blau. Welcome, Carly. So excited for us to really get to know you and pick your brain on some hot topics. I'm so excited to be here. What an honor and a privilege. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me and to have me here. Carly and I were just talking offline. I've followed her on Instagram for a long time and love everything that she says, but we also know each other in real life and I couldn't remember how we knew each other. And Carly reminded me that we met at a party probably over 15 years ago, which is kind of crazy. Easily 15 years ago. And it's funny because like, I remember you and it's funny. I think you and I shared the sentiment that what we remembered about each other is like a similar energy and we just liked who the other person was. So it's so cool to kind of manifest, talk about manifestation and how, you know, you can really connect with somebody on a soulful level as strangers and then really like who the other person grows into. I think that's such a cool notion. I love that. Yes. I think what was striking about you to me And I remember that more than even like where we met or like what stage of life we were in was that I think I expected you to probably be like a lot of the girls that we knew, which were like beautiful and also kind of intimidating and hard to talk to on that soulful level. Sure. And the reason I have this podcast is because I'm really weird when I do meet somebody and I connect with somebody, we go deep really fast. And I've had the privilege to do that with so many people in my life and wanted to bring that online. And I kind of remembered having that with you. And, you know, you remember those people and those experiences more than you even remember, like what it was about. So I have no idea what we connected on so deeply. We probably were drinking. We were probably 20 years old or less. And here we are moms. You're a therapist. And I mean, you're a woman, you're an adult, you're a homeowner, a wife, you know, you're doing it all. Literally, I'm a mom entrepreneur. Like, if that's, I just made my own word, but it's like an entrepreneur, but a mom entrepreneur, but it doesn't really work. But y'all know what I'm talking about, but that's what I am. Or I'll just call it a momager, um, a wifeager, a, a personager, just managing everything in my world. But you're right. Like, you and I, we met on this kind of soulful level. And I really love what you said about being weird. We're all fucking weird human beings. I think every single one of us is, every one of you listening, we've all got this weirdness to us. And I think 
what I really liked about you back then is you kind of just, you were unapologetically yourself Mm. and you were a stranger in the world of who I was meeting. And yet you were kind and you were beautiful and smart and, and insightful. And I just remember having this like energetic connection to you. And I've always followed you for that reason, because I always, I have an affinity for connecting to people that I think are genuine and authentic, even in their insecurity. Right. So like when I say genuine and authentic, it doesn't mean that like you're inherently confident and feeling really great about yourself and feeling like nothing insecure and just totally self-assured. I think the confidence comes from actually knowing where your weaknesses are and, and being comfortable being weird and admitting where you are and just being whole in that. Yeah. I think I, I much more even back then operated from a place of knowing like we're all weird. Why is everybody afraid to show it? And as I've gotten older, actually, and I talk about this on this podcast and I, you know, I never try to be inauthentic. It's called the truthiest life. That doesn't mean that I'm always in my radical authenticity. It means just like everyone else, I get tripped up, but I feel like I have gone into shell mode as I've navigated life in some areas, in some circumstances. And hearing you say that I used to be like that kind of encourages me to get back into kind of being that, you know, even if it's not liked by everybody, I think having an online persona, and I don't know if you feel this way, because you're such a professional in your field is, and I'm trying to work on this, but I've started to care more about people's opinions of me than I used to. And I don't know if I was more confident back then or naive or what it was, but um, it's something that I'm definitely trying to get back into because the reality is, is that back then not everybody liked me and not now everybody liked me and that's okay. And that's good because it allows me to kind of weed out the people that aren't going to get me and get close to the ones that do. This is already therapy, by the way. Thank you for being a therapist (laughs) in all aspects of life. (laughs) Oh my God, literally, when am I not a therapist? But, and look, my brain kind of just functions this way. always has. I've always been this like weird, introspective, emotionally mature, psychoanalytical little human being in the world. And the thing is, is it's like, to your point about being worried about what people think, like so many people have asked me, why don't I have a bigger presence? Or why don't I have a TikTok? Or why don't I, you know, work hard to blow up my social media? And it's like the social world we live in of social media is not a safe space. Mm. Like, it's very psychologically uncomfortable to be unliked or disliked by a great group of people, like a lot of people. And when you are vulnerable in the world, right, we get into like what I specialize in, which is like sex, dating and relationships. Relationships can be as basic as just saying hi to the mailman, right? And having the relationship with the mailman or the deep intimate relationship you have with a lover or a family member. But at the end of the day, like that relationship is only fostered and is a bit able to grow by being vulnerable and by putting yourself out there and being raw. And that's super scary to do, especially in the world of social media, where there are people that are considered like the trolls of social media, the bots, right? The people who are out there that just want to bring somebody else down. And like, I'm not going to lie. I do have the fear about those people. I've worked so hard to get to where I am in my career and to have the ability to influence so many individuals that the idea that somebody could just simply not like what I say and then try to take me down, like that idea is just literally paralyzing. Um, And I know that if somebody doesn't like me, that that's, I used to say like, if you don't like me, just blow me, right? If you don't like me, that's a you problem, not a me problem. I like me. Um, I love me now, right? And I've worked really hard to get here. But if you don't like me, I'm sorry that something about me is triggering something in you that you're uncomfortable with. But it's a lot easier said than to be practiced on a consistent basis, not to like totally make this a very dark conversation, but like think about how many celebrities like commit suicide and like overdose and are addicted to drugs or self-harming behavior. I mean, being in the limelight is not, an easy thing to do. And so to kind of full circle it back to this piece of like finding authenticity and being proud of being weird, like, yeah, be proud of it, but also protect yourself and be mindful of who you're willing to share that with. Because just because you have the bravery to put it into the world doesn't mean that everyone's going to actually do with it as you intend for them to do. Beautiful. I mean, I feel like you hit the nail on the head and 
It's interesting now because TikTok is a very different platform than Instagram. I kind of grew up on Instagram and accidentally created this community and business by being myself. And it's always felt like a very safe space to me. I put that in quotes because it has changed a lot over the years and I am certainly not as fearless with it as I, I used to be. TikTok has been a really great place for me to exercise my ability to not be liked by all because it's not it doesn't work like Instagram at all, where Instagram, you put something out and your followers mainly see it. If you you know go viral, it picks up and you get new followers from that. It doesn't really work out that well very much anymore. Whereas TikTok, people who don't follow you are very likely to see what you post. So they don't know who you are. They're seeing a 15 second clip, if even of one thing that you're talking about. And they have sometimes like rage reactions. And there's a whole comment section like meant for not even you, the creator to engage with, but the commenters themselves to like have a laugh with. And you could say literally like this apple tastes like candy, you know, and it's meaningless to me saying it. And there everybody goes. I posted something the other day, totally not trying to be judgmental about how anybody figures out sleep with their baby, but I just spoke about what I was doing. And oh my God, the comments went crazy. The videos went viral. People, girl, educate yourself before you did it. I'm like, oh my God, I actually wasn't even trying to don't be- you, Wait, don't you find that to be, and I hate to interrupt. It's like, I used to, my, my first internship ever out of college at Syracuse, my junior year was working for the Frisky, which used to be a Turner Broadcasting company. It was one of the, like the first blog sites when blogs were the first new hit thing. And I wrote about sex for them. And the main editor who hired me said to me, don't ever read the comments. Like you will lose your self-assuredness as a blogger when you begin reading the comments because people, you, it's like, it's like what happened to Kim Kardashian recently. And I'm not going to get into that, but it's like, you know, people take one snippet of what you say and then it, it's, it's cancel culture. It's cancel culture. And it's just so scary. Yeah, it, it's scary. And on Instagram, I kind of always felt like people posting on my page. I needed to respond to them, explain myself, learn from them, where TikTok is like the wild, wild west. And I love practicing not having to respond to every single comment because they're not even like talking to me. They're not going to continue to follow me. They're just like putting it out there and then they move on. Anyway, that was just a long winded conversation about how I'm kind of practicing returning to that place of self-assuredness. Of course, I always want to learn, which I have learned so much by listening to feedback on social media, but it also comes at a cost to, you know, the things that I want to keep safe. I don't want to put it all out there anymore because I have a family, I have a baby, I have a husband, and my own things that I'm sharing now don't only just affect me. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first like worthington and liz claiborne for her each in women's petite and plus sizes and stafford and mutual weave for him style and comfort for all even big and tall plus even more for the whole family like levi's and exertion here spring comes in all shapes sizes and colors jc penny make everybody count you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. 
You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, so you brought up something that I think was really fundamental to the conversation I want to have with you. You are a sex therapist, right? That's me. Awesome. Sex.Carly is her Insta. We'll put that below. But what I really love and what has stood out without you saying it, but also you saying it, is that your focus on self-love. How did you come to realize that self-love is fundamental in order to have any other type of love? Oh, what a great question. And what a loaded question. You know, it's funny. I've always been someone that people were like, oh my God, like you have so much confidence. Like I had a conversation recently with a girl I went to high school with who was like, you were always such a confident girl. You're always such a confident girl. And, and I work with so many young women and men around this concept I call faux confidence, which is what I was the queen of. Like you would look at me and think that I'm super, super confident. But underneath it, I was kind of, I got bullied really bad. There were some women who I'm sure perhaps are even listening to this. Like they really hurt me. They were so mean constantly, you know, about my looks, about the attention I got from guys, uh, like just things. It was just like this, uh, this mean energy and it really impacted me. I mean, I really had a hard time with it. I always dealt with mean girls from when I was like six years old. I now look at myself and, you know, I think as a therapist, we can mother ourselves and our inner child and like the traumas. And I think I was just an old soul. And I felt a lot of emotions in comparison to like other children my age, which seemed weird and bizarre to them. It just like, wasn't identifiable. But for me, this whole concept of self-love came into play when really from men, from men and women, right? So for, from women with like this bullying nonsense that I dealt with, it was like, I had such a hard time really believing the piece of like, if you don't like me, just blow me, right? Like I could say it, I could intellectually explain it to someone. Like, if you don't like me, that's your problem. But again, I'm still struggling even to this day with this, like we're talking about just now with this cancel culture stuff. Like I'm afraid to put myself out there in fear of what people are going to say that they don't like me, but nobody can ruin me when I've made myself into something that's so empowered. Right. It's like I too, in this moment, still struggle with this notion of self-love and how to really believe in myself and what I've created. But I think it also exists in relationships, right? Like how do you love yourself authentically and how does that allow you to then be in a healthy relationship, right? I think so often we think, and a lot of single people think, if I can find somebody that I can really, 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 really love, then I'll be happy. But it's like, no, what actually leads you to a place of happiness is loving yourself first. There is a great um, a great quote, I'll take care of me for you if you take care of you for me. And I said it when I got married to my husband, because what I used to think it meant was like, I'll take care of me for you. Like I'll take care of me so that it takes care of you. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, I'll take care of you through doing that. And then you take care of me and together we take care of each other. What it really means is in my ability to caretake myself, right. And you not being responsible for taking care of me and for how secure I am in the world that will allow me to be a, a great partner, parent person in your world and vice versa. But if you really don't understand that, then the idea of self-love kind of becomes really confusing because you're loving yourself for somebody else's benefit, not actually for your own. I think that our parents' generation would not even be able to wrap their head around what you just said. You know, it's funny, like my mom... My dad, I still haven't hit home to, but I'm working on that. But my, um, in some capacity, right? It's like, whatever. Daddy issues. Love you, dad. (laughs) Thanks. But here we are. I became a sex therapist. It's great. Um, (laughs) And and I also learned, the quick snippet is like around men. I think I had this like sexual energy to me and this self-assuredness sexually that always attracted men to me. But because I, what I've really come to learn, which was very empowering and what I helped so many people through is that I thought that that sexual energy that made them like me was what they would be attracted to. And what I've come to learn through many brilliant male clients and being married to a brilliant, wonderful man myself and and doing this introspective work is like men are most attracted to a partner who is self-assured in themselves. Mm-hmm. Not not just like the sexual energy, that too, but really the self-assuredness. And it kind of just like all came together for me, if that makes sense. And to go back to the parent thing, I ramble for a second, but like 
the parent thing is, it's so interesting. Like I've, I've spoken about this with my mom and you're right. Like their generation, the idea of self-love is just a different topic to them because it's like speaking another language. Totally. And I know that we have listeners of all ages here. So I bring up, you know, listeners that are in their fifties, sixties to, you know, know that the concept might be even more difficult for you than it is for even us when it's hard for us, because it's was just such a different world where these conversations weren't happening. And Evan's grandparents, for example, you know, have been together since they were 14 or my mom had her first baby at 24. Like there wasn't a lot of time back then, given what age people, the normal age people were getting married to even go through the process that I think you and I have went through, which is like your young 20s when you realize that you don't love yourself and then loving yourself and then finding hopefully the partner not to love you to then love yourself, but they love you because you love yourself. That's really confusing, but hopefully you understood me and our listeners did. Yeah, yeah, no, I get what you mean. I think the other thing is like we talk about culture and you talk about you know, just the cultural norms of the time back then. Like, you know, my parents got married when they were 31 and 41. That was really late, right? Like they were really late to get married. My dad had me when he was, you know, they got married when they were like 40, but they had me when they were 41 and 31. And like, that was super late to have a child back then. Culturally, things have just changed so much. Like now we're encouraging women to go and get a career and make something into yourself and find a purpose for yourself and feel accomplished for yourself. Even if that means just being accomplished in motherhood, right? Like that still exists for women and for men to be accomplished in fatherhood and parenthood and, and, and just being a parent. Right. But culturally back then, the idea of that even being something you had as a goal wasn't socially acceptable. It just wasn't. And you know, it's kind of funny, though, just to think about like conditioning and perception. I got married, I think, at 31. I believe I was 31 when I got married. And I didn't think that that was old to get married. I've never like thought twice about that. But hearing you say that your mom got married at 31, I was like, wow, that's old. You know, just be, I don't know myself when I was going through it. I didn't think it was old. But hearing that word just was like, wow, that is old to get married, even though it's absolutely not, you know, like. No, it's totally not. But it just feels it right. But the, but this is the perpetual thing of the culture and, the, and like the society we live in now. It's like, we just like have this like Peter Pan culture where we're all wanting to, I mean, like everyone's Botoxed and shot up and plumped and pushed and pulled in every way to look youthful and young. And it's like, you know, talk about self-love and what I did learn from my mom, which I admire so much is like her self-assuredness and her body and her changing body and the way that she aged, like I see men nowadays and I see women nowadays and, and who are in their sixties and seventies, like my parents. And I'm like, wow, they don't, they, their faces, they look so youthful. Like, and it's like, yeah, cause they've been nip tucked and pulled in every direction and I'm not knocking it. Right. Like if that makes you feel whole and you feel good when you wake up every day and that makes you feel beautiful, that's great. It's always interesting for me though, because my parents haven't done those things and they do feel self-assured and mm. beautiful. Like my dad, like I joked with him, right? And forgive me if he listens to this, he probably won't. But it's like, I said to him, like, you should you should maybe get the mirrors. And he's like, I, I like my smile. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, check myself. Like, what do you mean you should get the mirrors? Oh like, my God. He's, he's so content with who he is. And like, it really made me wake up and realize, like, can we accept ourselves how we are just in this moment? Is that enough? It's funny because we have, I think, opposite dads and I have not shared this in any other place, but we're like 21 minutes in. So I feel like we're safe enough place where anybody who nobody's listening from a hateful point right now. Nope. My dad just got divorced too, and he is really struggling with the concept of self-love and he keeps trying to put mm -hmm. a bandaid and chase around doing the work because that concept is foreign to him and he's only felt worthy in this world by way of a woman telling him that he's worthy. Yep. And, you know, this conversation about self-love is oftentimes so geared towards women, but I think it's so important 
for men and women and who, however you identify as right, well. And, non, and non-binary and non-binary, and like the non-binary world, right? right? Of like people who just identify however they identify to also feel validated in that identification. Right. I feel like at least for, to start this conversation, men are oftentimes left out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And obviously a lot of people have problems with men, but imagine if men did this inner work to actually love themselves from the get-go, what could really transpire from a place of healing for the world and the way we all interact with each other. And for our younger generations, you know, thinking about fuck boys, for lack of a better word, and the guys that are kind of stringing you along or treating you like crap. Like we think so much it's about us. That's what we run with. And we try to fix it by texting and, you know, chasing them or doing things sexually that we might not want to do. You know, these are just common themes that might happen in your lifetime Mm -hmm. when you feel Mm -hmm. you are running for the validation. But imagine if we all understood self-love and self-assuredness and you know imagine we were taught that in school in a different way and hopefully we we will Mm be what a different generation we would have at jc penny fashion counts for everybody and everybody it's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall, plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On your website, you have a great quote that I want to read. It says, you're going to sleep with one person for the rest of your life, and they better be the best sex you've ever had, and that person that you love the most, and that person is you. Is that a quote you made up? If I'm going to be known for anything in my life, let that be the quote. It's it's my words. um, It's my motto. It's what I believe in. And it's, you know, you're talking about this piece about men, right? And like the idea of self-love and how we kind of talk about it in a female feminine uh, energy and space and psyche, but it exists across the playing field for all human beings to love themselves. And um, I've actually worked with some incredible men in my career in teaching them what self-love really looks like and the authority around like asking for what you need, being open and honest and communicating what it is that you want and need in the world, especially from a woman and what that looks like and having it not be, you know, just from certain things. But I think that this to kind of take it into a sex conversation here, like self-love is not just masturbation (laughs) and self-love is not just believing in yourself. Self-love is also fucking sexy, right? Like if you are confident and self-assured of not just your strengths, like your weaknesses, your shortcomings, what your triggers are, your push points, your, your insecurities, right? Like you've got to love that. 
that's what self-love is. I think that that's the misunderstanding. People think that self-love is like all this positivity bullshit. Fuck that. Like what is this rainbows, unicorns, and butterflies world? Like welcome to the real world. Like bad things happen on a daily basis. We feel like shit often. Like sometimes we have anxiety. Sometimes we feel depressed. Sometimes we are sad. Lots of us have deep seated rage and frustration around things and traumatic situations we've gone through in our lives. Do we love all that? You know, like in my therapy, I keep this as the notion of the monster, right? Like we all have a monster. Can you love it? Do you have it on a leash? Right. I tell people in my office, we all have a bad side to us, like the, the not bad, but just the self-deprecating, self-hating, um, self-doubting, mean, rageful, mean girl, mean guy, dickhead, whatever you want to call it. Right. We all have that in us. We all have the capacity to be that. Like as sweet and kind and nice as I can be, I can be the biggest fucking bitch, <laughs> but it's just a matter of like loving myself to know when I have the potential to be that way and how to keep it in check so that that doesn't guide me. And when you have control of that, that's where like you can unleash an animal in the bedroom. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like some hot fucking right there. And that's your sex therapist side talking to, which I want to get into in one second. I didn't expect this to be such a deep dive on the topic of self-love. And it's a conversation I'm always having in with myself, but we organically really just went there. And mm -hmm. I remember when I, my own self-love moment happened in a hot yoga room during a time in my life when I was constantly trying to change my body. And I just melted one day and I looked in the mirror and it wasn't that I was loving what I saw back and said, yes, I love me. Not that I was hating it necessarily, but you know, I, I just picked myself apart for so many years. And for whatever reason that day, it all kind of came together. And I was like, I love me, you know, and not I love me. I'm the hottest girl in the room or anything like that. Just like, I love me. I've been through hard stuff. I've been mm -hmm. by my side. I'm proud of me. I love me. And almost like afraid of that thought, because for so long, I think the topic of quote unquote, loving yourself, thinking that you were attractive even was filed under conceited. I don't know if you grew or up arrogant. Yes. Conceited arrogant. Or, or arrogant. And, you know, I remember one time going, we grew up with going to a lot of bat mitzvahs. It was a very Jewish world where I grew up, grew up. And mm -hmm. I remember like one of my friends one day, we were 13 and we were leaving to go to bar mitzvah. And I was like, you look really pretty. And remember thinking like it was such a weird thing to say mm -hmm. to somebody else. I don't even know why, but like we hold in all of these thoughts about how other people look because will, will she be afraid? Is that, am I a lesbian if I think she's pretty? Right? Like all these, all these loaded <laughs> things. <laughs> lesbian. But in order for like me to think she was pretty, like she should have permission to think that she's attractive and pretty, you know? And I just think we were grew up in this world where we like weren't allowed to think that we were pretty. And at the same time, all we wanted to do was be pretty. And like, what were we? We were just like fighting our ourselves up this hill. Thank you for sharing that with me. One of it's so interesting. Yours was um, in like a hot yoga session. Mine was a brilliant therapist in New York City by the name of Edie Nathan. She specializes in grief, uh, but she's she's one of my mentors and I, I really look up to her. I think she's a brilliant woman. She helped me come to this notion of like archetypes and the archetypes and what roles they play in your world. And there was the archetype of the regular gal. And the regular gal was like, she's easygoing. She fits in. She's, um, she doesn't really stand out in any particular way, but she fits in with the crowd and she's liked and everyone likes her and she's included in everything and invited. And I had this like visceral reaction where I was like, I've never been the regular gal, but I've always wanted to just be one because I've never been one. And so I've always stood out like a sore thumb in a group of women. And so I got this like negative attention, whether it was a camp or elementary school or wherever, like I just didn't stand out. I bumped into like my fifth grade teacher recently and she was like, she didn't recognize me. I was like, you're never going to believe who I am. And she was like, oh my God, Carly Blau. She was like, you were always 10 going on 30. <laughs> I was like, she was like, you were a fun time. And I was like, well, I'm still 10 going on 30 and um, a fun just, time <laughs> and a fun time but you know it's it's just so interesting it's like every one of us has this like come to moment where you realize where you haven't really loved yourself and where you could do better and like 
if you pass up on the pain of those opportunities of looking at them for what they really are, you're ruining a growth opportunity. One of my biggest ones was in the last house we lived in, there was a huge mirror at the top of the stairs and I had had my daughter and she was, you know, maybe 16 months, maybe, maybe two, I have to say. And I was standing in front of the mirror and I lifted up my shirt and I stood sideways to see like my profile. And I was like thinking to myself, like, I look good. I look, you know, in shape. I look thin, like I look hot. And my little Pisher daughter like walked up next to me and she lifted up her shirt Mm. and she checked out her little body. Mm. And I just welled up with tears. And I was like, never again, never again will the words, I look so thin or like, I look so like, I look good is one thing, but I look good because I look thin is another conversation. And she does not need to see that. And so I, I caught myself and I was like, mommy looks beautiful. I look beautiful. Joey, do you look beautiful? She's like, yeah. I was like, you look beautiful. Mommy and Joey look beautiful right now. And, and I put my shirt down and I just continued to go and I caught myself. And like, since then, I don't do those things because you realize where you're still not loving yourself. Thank you. Your Instagram, you know, whenever you share moments with your daughter, I absolutely melt over them because I know you're a entrepreneur, like you said, but you are really very present and fun, whether you're with her or I know you had like, I think like a girlfriend come visit you last summer. You just like when you're present, you're really present, even if you're recording it or if there's like a Nest camera or whatever. But those moments have given me such joy to see you and just to Mm -hmm. also like admit that you had that moment and you checked yourself, I think is really cool. So you started to kind of open up in your expertise, which is sex therapy and Mm -hmm. loving yourself and how that can be brought into the bedroom. I don't want to jump into this so fast, but what about the person who does love themselves or or they have that sense of self-assuredness, but in the bedroom, there's either pain, physical or emotional or trauma that impacts their sexual functioning or interest? I believe this was kind of a question that was submitted on my Instagram for you, but I think it's a really great question because, okay, now we're working with this sense of self-assuredness. We're walking out in our day-to-day. We're really good at our jobs. We're really good in our relationships on the surface, but come to the bedroom, there's a little bit of a blockade there even though we do have that sense of self-assuredness, again, because of sexual trauma, functioning, or pain? It's a loaded question, but is there any way you could try to tackle that a little bit? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's so interesting. The most interesting thing about this for me and why I love the work that I'm doing is sex is a multifactorial experience that is psychological, physiological, emotional It's all the above and more. And so many people have never talked about it. It's interesting because our generation or isn't like the older generations really never talked about it. And so exploring it is is really challenging. Our generation has a lot of shame around not talking about it because it's supposed to be a lot freer for our generation. And I'm curious to see how it's going to impact younger generations being such a much more sexually liberated and fluid generation and you know, to see how that impacts us culturally, but to kind of get back to the piece of like, what do you do when you do have self-love and self-assuredness elsewhere, but it's not showing up in the bedroom. It's like, again, bringing up that piece of the monster. Like, what have you not talked about? What are you keeping in a clot? Like, what are you keeping hidden? What are you not bringing to the surface? There's a beautiful children's book. And if you don't have it for your daughter, you need it immediately. It's the monster at the end of this book. That's what's called the monster at the end of this book. Monster at the end of this book. Okay. And I read it to so many clients and they're like, why am I paying a premium (laughs) for you to read me a Sesame Street book? And I'm like, because it's profound, bitch. It's profound. But the truth of the matter is it's like, you know, we're constantly afraid of the monster at the end of the book. And we, we want to like nail this page to the next page so you won't get to it. And we're going to, you know, I'm going to try to be a self-assured in my job. And I'm going to try to be self-assured in my family and in my motherhood and in my, and in my relationship. And I'm going to try to do all these things in my life so that I feel self-assured because I don't want to get to the monster at the end of this book, which is like how sex is not fulfilling for me. But when you get to the end of the book, right? Like, sorry, spoiler, but the monster at the end of the book is me. I, Grover, am the furry old monster at the end of this book. And there's nothing to be afraid of. And the last page is a little bubble that says, oh, I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) And I, when Edie Nathan, my 
my old therapist, my therapist, you know, she, she read it to me. I was hysterically crying. I mean, like weeping in her office, like, what do you mean? It's me. Like I'm the monster at the end of the book, but it's true. Like you have to come to terms with the fact that maybe you are uncomfortable with sex. Maybe you've never explored it. Like you listening to this, have you, when was the last time you thought about your first experience? What was sex? Who taught you what sex was? How did you learn what sex was? Who taught you what things were, right? Like I became sex doc Carly because I didn't know what any of this was until I found this boy that came into my life at 13 who, you know, convinced me he loved me madly and that when you love each other, these are the things you do. Mm. And I knew that that's, you know, my parents were single. I knew they were dating. I knew like I had a book about it. I had an idea that this is what went on, but I had never done any of those things myself, like at all. And I got introduced to it. And then, I mean, you didn't ask this, but I'll tell you when I say this often in public spheres is how did I become this sex therapist is I started engaging with this boy who was my boyfriend in sex related stuff and sex at like 13, 14, 15. And I wanted to know what was happening, but I was afraid to tell my mom and my best friend's parents had a library in their house with a um, bunch of books. And one of them was a sex book. And it was like, an educational book about sex, um, more biology focused. And I would read about everything. So I knew from a textbook, I didn't learn from friends and their older siblings. Like I actually knew what fellatio was at like 14 because I was reading about it in a textbook. And so I became the girl like Otis from sex education. Like that was based on me, not actually, but it is. And like the person who I taught how to give a blowjob to at 14 years old can thank me for it. Like I was that person and I really enjoyed being that person who could talk about it like chicken fingers and French fries. But with a lot of science behind it. Yes. Like bingo. That's me. I don't just come at sex from a perspective of just talking about the wishy-washy goodness that it feels. A lot of my clients come to me with painful sex or a disconnect or erectile dysfunction or performance anxiety, not understanding the nuance of the biology and the psychology. Where is the connection there? I think the psychology part is really huge, especially because I'm such a mind body person and my mind can be in a lot of places and run anxious or require a level of safety that can't just be turned on because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, time for sex in the bedroom and stuff like that. And I share that for anybody who possibly can relate because hearing you say that sex is multifactorial, I think is the word that you, you use. Mm -hmm. There's so many aspects Mm -hmm. of it, but in the movies, we don't see that, right? Like we see the passion kind of happen very quickly. And, you know, I think it can be scary to be in your own body and not know what's going on. If you think that like, just because you're with somebody that you love or find is sexy, you're not in the mood, right? Like, what does that mean about me? And what will my partner think? And then like the anxiety can become even more, which only for me creates more of a mind body disconnect. And then like, you know, sex isn't going to happen for me if I'm in that disconnected place. I need to feel so safe, so grounded. And that can be like a lot to provide. And to your point, like maybe I need to read the book to find out that the monster is is me and really do my own inner work on that. I think everybody really does because sex is not what we see in the movies. It can be. Mm-hmm. It can be, I'm sure, moments like that. But the reality is once you're, you know, married or in a partnership for an extended period of time, like real life is happening. Bills are getting paid. Life is really hard. We've talked about that a lot in this episode. Like we're dealing with the gravity of reality a lot of the times, especially once you leave the honeymoon phase of a relationship. And then Mm -hmm. you have to get sex scheduled into life, which involves pain and, and difficulty and all these, all these emotions. So I think that your question is really helpful to understanding that everybody, I think at some point goes through a sexual functioning problem for lack of a better word, despite their age or a challenge with sexual functioning based on a circumstantial event, time experience, like we're all going to go through it, whether it be chronic illness, childbirth, parents, you know, changing, becoming parents, um, aging family members and having no time to feel sexy because you're caretaking. 
But, you know, there's, there's two things that I wanted to bring up in this sphere that I think are huge and are good to talk about. There's two things. One, which is parentified passion. I'm working on creating, uh, which is where like you and I were talking before we started recording about, you know, doing classes and doing workshops and things like that. One of the things that I really dream of doing is doing um, a workshop for couples around parentified parent, uh, parentified passion. So it's like how we, our first experience of love in the world is from our parents. That sets the tone of what kind of love we want to receive and provide. Then we find somebody to love romantically that we have passion with, but then eventually that passion kind of dies. And then we we replace that with this like parentified partnership where we take care of the other person and they take care of us. And then that's why sex dies because it's not sexy. Like you don't want to fuck your parents and your parents don't want to fuck you. Right. Like I'm not (laughs) going to get into that whole offshoot. Right. But as a sex therapist, I could, but I'm not going there today. Not today, Satan. But you know, I think just really thinking about how we caretake each other and where the passion dies in that. And speaking of movies, there's a wonderful movie, Life As We Know It. It's a really silly movie. It's about um, with Katherine Heigl and Josh Domal. And it's about um, their best friends die and leave behind a child for them to raise together. And there was a really epic scene in the movie. One of the other things that I actually am reaching out to Syracuse University to see if I could teach is I want to teach um, relationship influence in movies and television because I have a master's in television, radio and film. Oh, wow. So I'd like to kind of begin to teach people who are creating media how to start bringing light to things that we don't talk about, like the stuff we're talking about today, of like what doesn't exist in the movies. And there's a really wonderful scene in Life As We Know It where Catherine Heigl is fighting with Josh Dumal and they're having this insane, intense argument. And she's dating this new guy and the new guy is in the room. And she goes over to him and she's like, I'm so sorry that you have to witness that. He's such a fucking asshole. Like, I can't stand him. He's such an asshole. And the boyfriend says to her, like, you know, I really think the two of you should be together. And she's like, totally floored and doesn't know where to put herself. She's like, what are you talking about? What do you, I fucking hate him. What do you even mean? And he's like, my ex-wife and I ended things because we lost that passion. If only we had that level of passion in a relationship, I think we would still be together. And it speaks to like the monster at the end of this podcast, right? Which is Mm -hmm. like, it's in an, in a long-term partnership, these really intensified feelings and emotions are totally normal. Give yourself permission to have them, but also know how you need to get them in check to maintain passion. Right. You actually had a post that I really loved on motherhood that touched on partnership as well. And you wrote constant state of exhaustion, partner resentment for not being you all whilst being in love with your kids and family, but missing your old life when you had nothing to do and no one to take care of but yourself, but didn't know how to appreciate the simplicity of it all. So you created the chaos that you're now living in, which now you just call life. And the partner resentment thing is what I kind of wanted to touch on because I have spoken about, at least in the very beginning of postpartum, my partner resentment with Evan and a lot of women felt very seen by that. And I think hearing you say it as a sex therapist, you know, it's it's not spoken about a lot publicly, but I assume it's spoken a lot behind the closed doors of your office or Zoom, however you're conducting business right now. And I think that we need to talk about that more because passion, right, isn't just loving your partner a lot. It's sometimes hating them a lot. And that kind of feels like what you were saying before. But hearing a sex therapist or relationship therapist within that sphere kind of say it's okay to have negative feelings about your partner at times and then come back to your base is so liberating because I think when we are feeling it, we oftentimes feel too fearful to actually feel it because what will Mm -hmm. that mean about my marriage? What will other people think about me? What if I let myself feel this? Will I destruct our relationship? Then I'll get divorced or break up, you know, like, but what if you just allowed that to exist? I have plenty of places personally, like girlfriends that I vent to about Evan all the time. And the fact that they're safe spaces, it's like, they know that I like, don't 
at least this point in time want to divorce him you know they just like <laughs> let me have it as a safe place they do it about their partner and like you know it just kind of works and it doesn't make me feel bad for having these thoughts I feel like is very therapeutic for me to have that outlet rather than I feel like a lot of relationships really tuck that away they're afraid of what people will think if they know that they have these negative feelings about their partner they want to you know look like the perfect couple on Instagram and on this and that and ugh. right yeah ugh is a good word gag me with a very long dildo I mean that is just like <laughs> the the idea this perfect so thing like I <laughs> it's so honest. It's yeah. me. Like yeah. at the end of the day, right? Like who, when you're listening to me right now, I want you to stop, think, put your feet on the ground. I'm going to actually do it myself. And like, as you're sitting here and being grounded, right? Like, I want you to think, is there anyone in the world that you've ever just loved and never hated? Mm-hmm. Not for me. Like, have you? that you've just loved and never been no, mad at, actually. never hated and like never felt angry with. Angry like, with, yeah, angry with, definitely. Right, like, yeah. okay, fine. Like one of the books, I, I like sneak peek, but like when I finally finish this freaking 10,000 year PhD that I'm finishing Oh my God, next I didn't month, even know that. Yeah, I'm going to be Dr. Blau, like hopefully next month. Woo! That's a whole nother podcast for us to talk about what I uncovered in my research because woo, is that crazy? But Well, I'd love to have you as a part two because I didn't even get to like motherhood, IVF stuff, all the rest of Let's of- Well, because that's all what I did my PhD research in. So let's do part two on that. But sneak peek, right, is one of the things when I'm done with this PhD journey is I'd like to write a book called The Gray about how we are so fixated on these polarized spaces in the world. And we just forget about living very calmly in a gray space of you can love your partner and hate them one day and still feel really strongly for that person and have them in your life and not have to like excommunicate them because they did something not nice to you, right? Like I have empathy and appreciation for the women who were incredibly nasty to me my entire life. I can thank them for what they struggled with. And that's another book that I want to write, right? About bullying. Like, can we find solace in the gray, in this space of like having a relationship where maybe you love your partner one day and you hate them the next. And that like, there are times my, my pediatrician, Laura Popper in New York city, a brilliant woman said to me, I asked her, I'm going to give it in the way that I remember the memory, but I had said to her, like, are you married? She was like, I've been married 62 times, girl. I was like, 62 times. I was like, I can't find 62 men. I like, <laughs> and she was like, well, I've fallen in and out of love with my husband 62 times. And so it feels that way. Aww. And I was like, oh, what a healing moment. Like, yes, I have fallen in and out of love with my husband, Ryan, over the last 20 years. So many times there are days where I'm like, okay, what's divorce going to look like? And how are we going to spend our lives apart? And where are the kids going to live? And where are the dogs? <laughs> I have a great Dane. Where does this fucking great Dane live? Like, where am I going to ever live with a great Dane? <laughs> like, what do I, I don't even want to take the garbage out. Who's going to take the garbage out? Like, I don't think any other man is as attractive as him. Like, who am I ever going to sleep with again? I mean, it could be fun for like a night, but no, I'm going to miss him. Like all these thoughts. Right. And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, but then he comes and he comes like, you know, it's date night. And he gets dressed up and he walks out. I'm like, God, he's so cute. Like, I love you. You're so sweet. Like, like we're, and he calls me a polar bear, like, cause I'm polarized from one emotion to the next, but like, isn't there some normalcy in that? Like, don't you find normalcy in that? Like, I wish we talked about it more. Like you can feel all those things and everything's okay. I, yeah. I wish you were around during my pregnancy. Cause I specifically <laughs> remember a moment which Evan probably doesn't know about, but good news is I always give him shit for not listening to my podcast. Now he's going to get it here. I'm like, you can support my work, you know, by listening to my podcast. There was a moment in my pregnancy where he was traveling so much and working so hard and I respect him for that most days, but it was like, this isn't going to fucking work. Like, I am pregnant and I want to get divorced. And where did I make all the fucking wrong decisions in my life? Like, how did every decision that I made that felt so right up until this moment, like I'm so self-assured in every moment, but right now I swear I need to divorce him. And, you know, that time came and left and I, I love him. And it wasn't like, you know, real, but Correct. it did bring up a lot of- It was your emotions. Yeah. It was a real emotion, but it wasn't a real action. Yeah. And it was, you know, scary because like you said, I'm, I have a baby in my belly and all of a sudden I'm 
I'm thinking of I'm like, how the fuck did I end up here? You know, and, and to your point, you I think that that we have a really great foundation. And I hope that with that wisdom from your your doctor, you know, I could understand that with two years into marriage, this is going to happen 100 more times. Oh, thousands. There were 63, as she said, hopefully. I don't know if I could tolerate a thousand, but I'll take 63 of those moments where right, you're just right, like, right. you know, no, no. The thousands really is, is probably much more accurate. Where, you know, you recognize in your relationship that you're going to want to pull the plug on it. And then you re-come back together if that is the right thing for you in this relationship. I mm-hmm. personally have nothing wrong with divorce and two people moving into separate directions if if that's where they're at. And yep. that includes myself. If I reached that point in time where I was serious Correct. about it, you know, I, I think that it's important to destigmatize divorce because it can oftentimes be the healthiest thing for both people as well as children. Not sure your thoughts yep. on that. People, well, people ask me all the time, like, how do I know if I should get divorced or how do I know Right. Like I, I push this notion of like, you fall back in love a bunch of times, but like, when is enough enough? Right. And for me, I, I really look at it from the perspective of like, first of all, if you don't have children and there aren't children in the, in the picture, the conversation becomes, you know, life is merely maybe another quote I'll become known for someday, but it's like, life is merely an opportunity for you to grow up and where you're in a relationship in a monogamous relationship is does the person you grow up to be continue to be somebody that they grow into loving, right? Like as you're growing and they're growing and you grow on parallel streams, like or streets, you know, next to each other, does the person you grow into continue to love and respect the person that they grow into? And where divorce becomes applicable is the person that you're proud of growing into no longer respects, sees eye to eye and is in a parallel space to the person that they grow into. And if you're not able to support each other and respect each other in that growth, right? Sometimes it actually holds you back from becoming the best version of yourself rather than encouraging you both to continue being the best version of yourself, right? And so like, that's where divorce really is appropriate, right? Or like when there's so much trauma and pain and working through it is so difficult and challenging and it's just too emotionally exhausting and who you've grown into no longer has things in line with one another. That's where divorce and separation really comes into play. And also I think, you know, I'm the product of divorce also with my parents. Oh, I didn't um, even know that. Yeah. And you know, it's like my parents, they are better off as friends than they were lovers and partners emotionally. And I learned that you can function in a household of divorced parents. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't easy for many years, but like it is much better now. But I, you know, I've worked with clients where their relationship is so tumultuous and so dangerous and the things they say to each other and the way they treat each other and the cruelties that exist and the lack of, you know, as like a parent, if, if you fight, fight, but also show your kids how you make up, mm-hmm. right? And like the, when the pain is so intense and children are constantly exposed to that, like stop worrying about the social implications or the, I hate this, this is like tangential, but like the financial implications. Yes. Your life is going to financially fucking change when you get divorced and you're not going to afford the things you afforded and your kids might have to switch schools and it might be life rocking. Right. But you're setting the tone for what your kid is actually going to know to be love. Yeah. And like, how do you really weigh that? And granted, like, this is not an easy thing for me to just speak to. It's not like a three minute conversation and and it's very person centric, meaning like each person's individual situation is very different, but you can tell I'm super passionate about it. I was going to say that I would love to explore this conversation more. And if you're willing, we could have you back on to talk about your PhD, to talk about that, to, to talk about divorce, to also talk about motherhood, entrepreneurship, and your own IVF experiencing is and becoming a mother of two, which was like half of what I wanted to get into today. But I could honestly say that this conversation was probably it's hard for me to say favorite of all my podcasts, because like, that's not the right word. And I take something away from everything. But the way that this one flowed, because you truly live your truthiest life, you're so authentically you, you're fearless, you're embodied. And Mm -hmm. what was the word that you use self assured, you know, the words Mm -hmm. flew out of your mouth. Like, I remember why I liked you at the pool party 20 years ago, you know, (laughs) thank you. I mean, I have tears in my eyes. It's like, you know, I do live my truthiest life. I'm not I'm not all that I'm, I'm all that in a bag of chips. And I'm really all not that I mean, a lot of my chips are crumpled at the bottom of the bag, right? Like, they're still worth eating, but some of them are not the greatest chips. Like it's just, 
I'm all bad analogies, but you've got them. You, they flow from you. And like, they just, they, it's like oh, my clients all joke. Like, can I please write a book of analogies? When I moved, I lost my paper with all my analogies. No, you got to like find the most them. Painful thing ever. I know it's, it's painful. You got to find them. And then when you find them, I would please digitalize them immediately. I'm going, I have to, because it's just devastating that I don't know where they're, I don't remember who it was that said it, but the truth of the matter is um, you're growing until the day you die. Like when you stop growing, you die. So you know, as long as you commit to continuously growing, I mean, you have a whole life ahead of you. And like, how beautiful is that? Mm, Great. We'll end there. And I thank you for your time. We're definitely going to have you back on. I'm already going to send you an email as soon as we get off here. I already know my audience is going to love this and hopefully share it on social media, because I think we talked about a lot of conversations today that people are struggling with feeling alone and in their head. And I think there's great self-reflection points to walk away from after this episode as to what am I afraid to admit? What am I afraid to think Mm -hmm. about, talk about, really experience because I'm afraid of further implications and a lot of questions to really think about that, that monster at the end of the book and re, you know, really visit yourself after this. So thank you, Carly. And we will see you back here soon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to coming back. Dr. Blau. Thank you, Dr. Blau. Soon to be. Dr. to be. Dr. to be Blau. Yes. Thanks for living your truthiest life. You dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 